We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. Making a delivery in, um, in Ontario, the Lord was really talking to me about trials, faith, endurance, and he just reminded me of everything that I've been reading in this chapter. Because we're going to study the Red Sea crossing, the Exodus. And in verse 1 it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn and camp before Pi Heroth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal and Zephon, you shall camp before it by the sea. You know, one of the most beautiful things and one of the most beautiful characteristics of the Lord is that those who seek the Lord, those who diligently seek Him, guess what? He answers back. He talks to you. Perhaps He doesn't talk to you the way He did to Moses, but he talks to each and every one of us individually in his own way. I know he was talking to me profoundly this morning. He's been talking to me all week about different things. But to Moses, he's speaking to him here. And what does he say? He wants Moses to tell the people where they're going to camp. Now, if you look at this area, by Hahiroth was located beginning of the Red Sea. Today, the nearest city is called Adabiya, which is just south of the Suez Canal. Now, one of the funniest things was I was looking up different routes of the Exodus, and uh, I found one that was, like, totally way off. Now, I looked at it at first, and I thought, wait, that doesn't seem right. So I went back to, to see other pictures of the Exodus, and I realized that whoever created this chart was actually, like, two chapters ahead where he had them, so it was kind of weird, you know. But but now the Lord is, is talking to him, and um, he tells the people, camp here. You're going to camp just by the sea, which is not a very good location, as we're going to find out. It's not a strategic point for, for a city, a, a sea of people to be camping. Because in verse 3, it, it reads like this. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Now God tells Moses, this is what Pharaoh will say. They are trapped. On the west is the, the wilderness. To their east, well, they got the ocean. So really, they got nowhere to go. They're going to be trapped. And we're going to bring up the rear end. You know, when I was thinking about it, it's crazy how man thinks. But I love the way God thinks. You know, sometimes men think they have everything worked out. But man's thinking is nowhere near God's thinking. Because look what it says in verse 4. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will what? Pursue them. And I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled in the heart of Pharaoh and his servants were turned against the people. And they said, why have we done this? That we have let Israel go from serving us. Now the Pharaoh would have repented within himself. You know that decision that he took of, of letting all the Israelites go free? He would have looked at the situation and said, what have we done? Why did we let them go? That's, you know, that, that's our servants. These are our brick builders. These are our construction people. These are the harvesters. Well, who's going to do this work now that they're gone? You know, he, he realizes that, hey, we, we shouldn't have done that. At least that's what he thinks. But the Lord says, what, that he would harden Pharaoh's heart. You know, it's amazing because in verse 8, he says this, verse 17, 
In chapters 4, 21 through 31, he said this. Chapter 3, 13 and 14, he also said this. He said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Because Pharaoh keeps thinking that he's in control. Pharaoh keeps thinking that he's above God. But he's not. He's just a man. But now God is not just going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He's going to harden the heart of his military. He's going to harden the heart of all Egyptians towards the Israelites. Why? Well, they're going to remember that because the God of Israel brought plagues upon them. They're going to remember that the God of Israel killed their firstborn. But truth to be told, they brought it on themselves because of the hardness of the heart. See, God doesn't want men to harden their hearts. God wants to give men a new heart. But men are stubborn. This Pharaoh's very stubborn. It's amazing. A couple of years back, I remember seeing um, a documentary where this Pharaoh isn't even named in the Pharaohs of Egypt. It's the one Pharaoh that is not found in the record of Egypt because of what he did by releasing the, the captives. The Israelites. So the people come and gave the Pharaoh the news. Hey, you know what? The people had fled. They left. And now the Pharaoh's heart is burning within himself. And he's angry. And he's going to go after them. Now, like I said a moment ago, the Pharaoh thinks that he's going to have them trapped. But there's a reason why God brought them down this way. And he explained that in, in chapter 13, verse 17. See, God could have took the people straight across. He didn't have to head south. He could have marched everybody straight across, go through the land of the Philistines. But he, he clears that up for us why he didn't do that. Because in chapter 13, verse 17, it says that the people will see war and they will want to return to Egypt. So God doesn't want the people to return to Egypt. He wants them free of the slavery or the bondage of Egypt. This is the reason why he brought them south. Verse 6, it says, So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. So what does Pharaoh do? Well, Pharaoh's preparing for war. He's preparing to go after the Israelites. And he gives the command, Hey, guess what? Make Make all the chariots ready. Get every soldier we have ready. Prepare the people. We're going to go back and get the Jews. We're going to bring them back to be our slaves. We're going to bring them back to serve us. That's the Pharaoh's thinking. And he's serious. Because verse 7, it says, Also, he took 600 of his choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. Now here we read that he took choice. The choice chariots are the best of the best. These are like the elite guard of the, of the Pharaoh, okay? These are the, the man that he trusted the most in battle. Now, typically the way a chariot operated was you had a common chariot, which would have two horses. He would have one driver, one guy shooting arrows or javelin at people. But the choice's chariots had three. He would have one operator driving the, the, the chariot. And then you would have one man on each side shooting arrows or throwing javelins, whichever was more convenient for him, I suppose. So the, the pharaoh took the very best. He says, get the 600 chariots ready. You know, he's thinking, we're going to go out there. We're going to hit them hard. We're going to attack the ranks. We're going to split the people. We're going to divide them. That's what he's thinking. You know, that's the tactic of Satan as well. Satan has a tactic. He, he longs to just divide and tear up the people of God. He makes war against us every day. And that's one of the things the Lord was showing me how. Just as this Pharaoh thinks that he's going to go out and war against the people of God, so does Satan war against us. You know, he shoots arrows. That's what we read, right? You know, that he shoots fiery arrows against us. 
Now, the whole purpose of him bringing all these chariots, like I said, was this swift attack, this chaos that he was going to bring. Because what happens is when you come under attack and all this pressure hits you, a lot of people panic. And when people panic, they break ranks. And when they break ranks, they start running for their lives. That's what happens to a lot of Christians. When Satan comes against you, a lot of us run. Why? Well, as we'll see, it's fear. That's what, that's what the Pharaoh knows he's going to bring. He's going to bring fear into the people's heart. He's going to come to break their, their will. He's going to come to just demolish them as much as he can and then bring whatever's left back into captivity. That's his whole desire. And verse 9, it says, I'm oh, sorry, verse 8, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. And the children of Israel went out with boldness. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, camping by the sea beside Pi-Hahiroth before Baal-Zephon. Now see, in this point we see that, that the Lord had a heart in the heart of Pharaoh. You know, his heart had turned completely against the people of Israel. But we also see that the people of Israel continue going out. You know, con continue their destination. Continue the direction that the Lord had led them in. But we also see that the Egyptians pursue them. They come with their horses, chariots. His, his army is behind them. You know, the Pharaoh says, hey, man, I'm coming after you. I've got all the power. You know, I, my whole military is coming behind me. He's very confident. You know, he's confident as men. He's confident in the fact that they're well-trained soldiers. One of the things that we learn in history, if you study history, is that the Egyptians were masters in their tactics of battle. They were very aggressive when it came to battles. Now, the chariot was perhaps the greatest thing that ever came to the Egyptians. Contrary to popular belief, the chariot did not originate with the Egyptians. Actually, the chariot, just like the horse, was brought to them. The horse originally came from southern Russia, made its way through the valley into Egypt eventually. The chariot itself was not something that they had created. It was actually over 100 years of tinkering with it. They finally got the chariot to do what they desired with it, and they became masterful with that creation of theirs. You know, there's a, there's a video by uh, that program, Nova, it's called Building uh, Pharaoh's Chariot. And if you see how they build a chariot, now they're going to do it the ancient way, not some fancy machines. They're going to do it the way it was done back then. And it gives you a sense of what Israel had to do because Israel was, was the slaves. They were the builders. They were the construction crew. So they would have to build these things. And the, the Egyptians weren't doing it. They were doing everything. They were doing all the slave work. So Pharaoh's bringing everything that these people had built against them. And he comes against them by the sea. And it says, when Pharaoh drew near, in verse 10, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So what? It says, they were afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now the Israelites see the army coming against them, right? And what happens? They begin to fear. They start shivering. Their knees are buckling. Their hearts are just shaking. They're pounding like, oh, man, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? That's like a lot of Christians, to be honest with you. When the hard times come, when the difficulties in life come, that's what happens. A lot of times we panic. We forget we forget who is leading us. We forget who brought us from the slavery of the world. Because at this point, they're cowardly. 
in the face of the enemy. Why? Because just like them, we do the same. We see things through a human perspective. See, they see this army coming, and rather than saying, oh, we got the Lord behind our backs, they look at this army and they say, we got no weapons. What are we going to do? How do we defend ourselves? Well, guess what? Even if they had weapons, they were slaves, so they would not have known how to properly use them. Yeah, it's easy to swing a, a sword, but to really fight a sword fight, you have to be properly trained. They weren't. God knew this. It didn't come as a surprise to the Lord that they didn't have no weapons. It didn't come as a surprise to the Lord that the Pharaoh was coming against them. The only one who truly was trained in every way that you could imagine as far as what Egypt represented would have been Moses. Moses was trained in weaponry. You know, Moses had training in, in building. So perhaps he was one of the best who was qualified for fighting. But Moses is an older man. You know, and the people begin to what? They begin to cry out to the Lord. They're freaking out. But the one thing they forgot was this. God was their defense. They do not need to look at things in any other way. They do not need to rely on the weapons of men. When they have the most powerful God in the universe behind them. They've got the power of God defending them. They had seen the plagues. You know, they had seen this cloud leading them along the desert. They've seen this pillar of fire at night guiding them. Now, Pharaoh thought he was a god, yet he couldn't do any of that. But it's kind of hard to trust, I suppose, after 430 years of captivity. It's kind of hard to really say, yeah, God is going to have our backs. In a way, I, I was thinking about it, and I said, I can kind of comprehend that thinking. But at the same time, when you look at everything that the Lord has done, you know, you, you just got to rely on him. You have to put your faith in action. Because when the heart times in life come, you don't rely on your strength. You don't rely on your abilities. You rely on the might and the power and the faithfulness of God. Not in us. We're just weak vessels. We're strong apart. Uh, apart from him, we're not strong. We're weak. But see, when we remain in the presence of God, when we're truly rooted in the faith, we're made strong, and we can endure, and we can overcome, and we're conquerors. Victory is his, not ours. We don't rely on ourselves. I was thinking about that this morning as I was sitting in my truck. Kind of a little bit off, but, you know, I like to do some investing on the side. And I was looking at my investments. Now, it's not much, but I'm looking at them, and everything is red. Literally, man, I go, man, what happened? Just yesterday, it looked good. Today, it's all red, right? And I'm like, at this point, you have two choices. You can stay with what you've got, or you can sell everything because you're scared to lose what you have. And I said, you know what, Lord, all this, this is yours. You allowed me to get this, and it's fine. It's red today. It's yours. You don't know what to do with it. I'm not going to sell it just because it's losing value. It's okay, Lord. I trust in you. you know, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You do. So I'm going to trust in that. I'm going to put my faith in you. My hope is in you, O oh Lord. And that's what they're not doing right now. They're not trusting in the Lord. But we should at all times. In the good and in the bad. Why? If you look at the following verse, verse 11, it says, Then they said to Moses, and, and this is how we are. 
Too often we react this way. Because there were no graves in Egypt. Have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt or why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Now guess what? Just a few days before, <laughs> when they're leaving Egypt, they're excited. They're clapping, singing, everybody's joyful. Yeah, we're leaving. Now they're all getting on his case, blaming him. That's what they're doing. It's contrary to what they did just a few days prior. And this, this shows what? This shows fear. See, the fear of men will rob you of the blessings of God. You fear men and you will lose. You're going to lose the blessings of the Lord. I was thinking of Pastor Saeed going to Iran. Iran is a, it's a Muslim nation. Christian is an outlaw belief. See, I don't say religion. We don't have a religion. We have a relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. He knew the consequences. Was he scared? Perhaps he could have said, you know what, I, I might get arrested, but hey, it's for the glory of the Lord. Today, we know he's being tortured. We know a lot of things happened to him. But he was still faithful even in that. So why do we question the Lord? Why do we question his servants? The people are beginning to speak out against Moses. All because they see the Egyptian army coming. You know, we lose sight of the things that the Lord has done in the past in our lives. They lost sight of the wonderful things that God did to bring them out of bondage. The last one was the tenth plague. You know, the Lord gave everybody a commandment. Put that blood around your door. They were faithful. They did it. Next day, what happens? Freedom. Because they had faith. They trusted in the Lord. But those things are being forgotten because there's an army coming against them. They're losing hope. Yeah, but that's what happens when we take our eyes off God. If we take our eyes off God and we put them on ourselves or our men, we're going to stumble. Fear is going to overcome us. It always will. Fear is one of the greatest weapons that Satan can use against the church of Jesus Christ. Fear. You know, I've told you guys this story when I first came to the Lord 16 years ago. I was excited. I wanted everybody to know the word of the Lord. I used to take, I grew up here in Monte. Okay, I grew up in Monte. My neighborhood is on the other side of Garvey. My neighborhood back in when I was growing up was full of prostitution, drugs, gangbangers. My deals were gang members. So I grew up with that neighborhood over there. And I was joyful that God had saved me. And I remember I used to take off walking up Garvey. I wasn't scared of what could happen to me. And one of the times is one this one guy, you know, he pulls out a big old screwdriver. He looks at me and he says, you know what, if you keep talking to me about Jesus, I'm going to stab you with this. <laughs> you know what? I looked at him and I said, it's all right. Don't... See, my faith is in Jesus Christ. And I know that he is greater than anything I can ever encounter. Of course, my wife told me never to do that again and hit the streets, but she said, next time you take someone with you. And I was like, babe, I grew up in this water. I mean, you know, I'm not scared to walk these streets. But see, we have to keep our eyes on the Lord, on the greater prize. Because they're, they're not focused on the greater prize. They're not focused on the best yet to come. They're focused on the now. That's why they're complaining. That's why they're saying, you brought us to this wilderness to die? This is, this is what you did. You brought us here to die. 
Wasn't there graves in Egypt? We could have been dead in Egypt too. At least they could have buried us. God doesn't intend for them to die in the wilderness. You know, God has a greater blessing for their lives if they only stay focused on it. And if you look at verse 13, it says this. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. Who's going to accomplish the work? Them? No. The Lord, the mighty God of Israel, our Lord Jehovah Jireh. He's going to accomplish it. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you what you shall see again no more forever. Now let's stop there. Now the response of Moses. Is that the response and the reaction of a man who's scared? Or is that the response of a man whose faith is grounded on the Lord God? Because he tells the people, hey, relax, don't be scared. Stand still. Watch what God is going to do today. These Egyptians coming against you, they will never again pester you. Never again will you see them. Now, you know, the people could be thinking, how can we never see them again? They're in front of us. They're coming against us. But see, Moses is focused on God. Moses' eyes are not focused on what's coming against him, but who is leading him? Who brought him out of that desert where he was serving, taking care of a sheep? Who talked to him through a burning bush? That's who he's focused on. Who brought him before Pharaoh, knowing that he was a wanted man for murder. That's who he's focused on. See, Moses remembers that staff becoming a snake. Moses remembers the ten plagues. And he says, this is nothing. This ain't nothing. That's why he's able to stand strong in his faith. And there's one last evidence that God is great. That pillar of cloud leading them. That evidence that God is with them. Because in verse 14 it says, The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. The Lord does the fighting. See, the victory is in Christ. The victory is in the Lord God Almighty. It's not in them. Later on when you read about what Joshua does, Joshua wasn't relying on himself. He relied on God. Moses gave Joshua that example. Yeah, that's, that's got to be our heart. The Lord is going to fight for us. I'm going to hold my peace. I'm going to be at rest in him. I'm going to rely upon his strength and not mine. In verse 15 it says, And the Lord said to Moses, I love this. I wrote, when I read this, I had to reread it a couple of times, and then I read it again this morning because I love this passage. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. I love that, see? If you ask God questions, He's going to answer them. Now, sometimes you're hoping for a different outcome, but you already know God's answer before you even go up there and ask Him. But you think, maybe if I ask, God will you know, tell me something different. See, when God already tells us to do something, all we have to do is just obey and do what he's told us to do. Because here he, he says, tell the children of Israel to go forward. Now, if they continue going forward, they're going to go straight into the sea. That's all that's in front of them. Now, are they supposed to swim to safety? In a way, yeah, they can swim in the grace of God, that vast ocean so deep, you know. But God is putting them to, to test. Are you going to rely on me? Are you going to trust what I tell you? 
Yeah, because Moses is saying, Lord, we got the wilderness to our west, the ocean in front of us, and the Egyptians behind us. What do we do? These people are complaining, Lord, what do we do? I love that, Lord. Just, hey, go straight. You go forward. You know what? That's what we should be doing. We should always seek the counsel of the Lord. But sometimes, like I said, the Lord already told us what to do. Because verse 16, it says, But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Now that's one of those things where faith comes into play. Where you trust the Lord and you say, okay, Lord, want me to lift my rod? The last time you told me, drop my rod. It ate, you know, two snakes. Today you tell me to lift it. Okay, I'll do it. See, that's obedience. Now Moses could have stood there and argued and said, Lord, well, what's the point of it? What's, what's going to happen? But the Lord told him, hey, just lift your rod and you shall see the seas divide. But not just that. It says that Israel is going to go on dry ground between the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians what shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Who gets the glory in everything? It's God. Who gets all the honor? It's God. I always get a kick out of uh, the awards. I never watch them. Sometimes I read them. But it's amazing because they always honor each other. And one of the first things they always do when they open up, you know, their, their speech commandment, I want to thank God. But if you hear their music, it's all cussing. Their movies are all cussing, all vanity, you know. But they're thanking God. Does God get honor in that? No, God gets honor in his people doing what he asks them to do. Being obedient, trusting in him, relying on him, walking by faith. Because Moses demonstrated faith. He demonstrated that he's going to trust God by stretching out that rod. He demonstrates faith that they're going to walk through dry ground. He believes God when he says, I'm going to harden the, the hearts of the Egyptians because he's seen it before. Moses has no reason to doubt God. But for whatever reason, people seem to doubt God all the time especially Christians, when we've seen the miracles of the Lord in our very own lives. Now, that's one of the hardest things for me personally to accept at times where you might find yourself lacking faith or hope. And when you do that, you know, all you got to do is you got to Come before the throne of God and say, Lord, help my unbelief. Give me strength, Lord, to see your miracles once more in my life. Because when Moses did what the Lord said to do, the seas parts. The seas will part. And those who chase after them will follow after them foolishly. And those who think they have the people of Israel trapped will find themselves trapped. But before anything can happen, I love what the Lord does. To show Moses and the people that he is with them and that he fights for them. Because verse 19 says, And the angel of God 
who went before the camp of Israel moved. Now who's the angel of God? It's that pillar, that cloud that leads them by day and is a pillar of fire at night glowing, lighting up the path that they are to follow. Just like we read in the psalmist, your word is a light unto my path. So the angel of the Lord, this pillar that has led things for the past three days, now what? Now he takes the rear guard. He moves to the back. To what? To protect them, to shelter them, to keep the Egyptians from coming down on them. Who does that for us? Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ is our fortress. He's our shelter. He's our shepherd. When the wolves come against us, it's him who protects us. It's him who fights for us. Why? Because you're his people. The Israelites are God's people. And God is going to fight for his people. He's not going to leave his people to fend for themselves. He fights on their behalf. And he has the angel go behind them to the rear and protect them. And keep the, the army of the Egyptians at bay. Because they're freaking out. They're like, uh, what do we do? You know? They're stopped in their tracks. Psalm 91 says this. Verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perils of pestilence. So it's the Lord who protects His people. It's the Lord who fights on behalf of His people. You know, one of the things that a lot of Christians stop doing when when they think they're progressing in their faith, is they stop relying on God. You know, and that's a mistake. Yeah, the Lord gets us out of tough situations. And yes, the Lord reminds us of those tough situations we've been through. But they are there to remind us of his faithfulness and that we are to trust on him. But he also doesn't want us to make foolish choices. So that he has to keep bailing us out. He wants to lead us. He wants to guide us. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, he'll also fight for us. He'll defend us. Yeah, verse 21, it says this. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. It made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. Who caused the sea to divide? The Lord. How did he do it? A wind. A strong wind. A mighty wind. But it's not just any wind. Okay? Now give you an example a couple years ago the discovery channel thought that they could put it to the test so they did an experiment where they took different methods okay very powerful uh, blowers and fans and all these things because they were going to demonstrate how do they part at the seas but guess what their their little trials all failed if you I was watching it and I was kind of laughing like the sister was. Because when the wind was blowing, sand is blowing everywhere. Okay? The seas, yeah, the water starts to part, but immediately it wants to rejoin. So everything they did kept failing, 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 failing. They couldn't achieve their goals. See? But the problem is that their methods was not like the east wind of the Lord. First and foremost, this wind was so powerful, it divided the seas in two, right? It brought dry land. The ground became dry. But second of all, unlike 
their trials, this wind didn't blow the dirt around. It didn't blow people around. Actually, as the wind was blowing, people walked right through that wind. Now imagine the power that it would take to separate this body of water, hold up the walls on each side, and allow nearly 2 million people to walk through all night. Not just for a few seconds, but all night. That's the power of the living God of heaven and earth. That's the power of God who by the very word that he spoke created the heavens. So I look at the sky. As a truck driver, I've been to some crazy places. My brother Craig too knows about it. But one time I was down by Fort Stockton off the 10 freeway, which is in in, um, Texas, near Pecos, Texas. And it was December. And I've told some of you the story. And I remember the Lord, as I parked my rig for the night, because I was going to go to sleep, the Lord said, get out, look up. I got up and I looked up. I had never seen so many stars in my life. And the Lord said, I created that. So this mighty God who can create something out of nothing, by the very power of his word, now sends this wind that is powerful to split the ocean in two, yet gentle enough to allow the people to walk through. Why? Because he loves his people, and he cares for his people, and he shelters his people. And he gives safe passage to his people. So this great wind what took great care not to harm any of the people of God. But not just the people of God, because remember, there were other people coming with them. It wasn't a selective wind. It was an inclusive wind. Because God loves everybody. And he wants everybody to come to know him personally. Verse 22 says, So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on the left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them in the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen. Now, The ones who thought they set a trap begin to follow. They start chasing them. And they go right into the midst of the sea. Now it came to pass in the morning, so I told you, it's not just a few seconds. It was all night. And in the morning it says, the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of Egypt. I love that part. I was thinking about this because, if, like I told you, that video, they show you what it takes to make one of these uh, chariots. So it wasn't like you could just pull a pin, whatever. But the Lord begins to bother them. He's causing them problems. And it says this, and he took off their chariot wheels. <laughs> yeah, I laughed too. I was like, wait, he did one? You know, it's funny because sometimes you can read a, a, a book of the Bible and you miss things. And the next time you reread it, you catch something you missed the first time and you're like, oh, that's so cool. He took off the wheels of the chariots and it says so that they drove them with difficulty. So the poor horses were having to drag these chariots with the guys on top of them because the wheels came off. Who took them off? The Lord. He's delaying them. He's slowing them down so that his people can get away safely. And the Egyptians said, let us free, listen, let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. See, they realize, hey man, this this thing that's happening to us, this isn't just coincidence. This is their God. The one who brought down these plagues on us. He's fighting for his people. And they're starting to realize, like, what are we doing? Because they looked at the Pharaoh as a living God. They realized it's just a man. Verse 
Then it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots, and their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full death, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained that the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. Now, some people might look at that and say, God was cruel, but God was just because He knew. He knew he had to do it because otherwise Pharaoh would continue to pursue the people. And he would still continue to desire to kill some and bring many back as slaves. So God had to punish them. God had to destroy the enemies of Israel. He, he wiped out everything. Horses, everything. Is this the first time the Lord's had to do it? No. He had to do it to Sodom and Gomorrah because the people were sin-filled. They loved sin. That's why he had to do it. You know, last week in the Spanish study, two ladies showed up, never been there before. And one of them starts telling me in Spanish, what's the point of hope in Jesus? What's the purpose of it all? It's been 2,000 years since Jesus died on the cross and went back to heaven and never came back. What's the point of believing and trusting in him? Why should we have our faith in him? How my response was this. Be grateful that he hasn't came back. Because see, the Lord has given you 2,000 years to repent of your sin and come to the faith and the realization that Jesus died for you, that you might inherit eternal life. Don't look at the 2,000 years as God not returning. Rather, God having grace upon you. Because if he had returned, he would have destroyed everything. And you and I would not be here today. We wouldn't be here to praise the Lord. But his grace is a deep ocean. Merciful. And the people who serve the Lord will walk upon that dry ground that he sets for us. But those who hate the Lord, those who fight against the Lord, they have to suffer the wrath. Pharaoh could have repented. Pharaoh could have said, you know what? Forget it, guys. I see God at work again. He could have. But the hardness of his heart, I am a God. No, you're just a man, dude. I know people tell you you're a God, but you're not. You're not. You know, we're just men. Vessels of the Lord. Moses was a great leader. He led his people faithful. He was obedient. And he did the things that the Lord asked him to do. And even to the point where he had to stretch out his staff again. And the waters began to fall. And the people began to get crushed under the weight of the oceans. Verse 30 says, So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashores. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Now remember God's original plan? He just wanted the people to go out and pray, right? That's what he said. Hey, let my people come out and worship me. But Pharaoh was a very arrogant man, stubborn, prideful. His belief that he was a god is perhaps his greatest sin, I would say, because he trusted in himself. I don't know... I don't know how you come to that 
point in your life where you just trust in yourself and you rely on yourself. I tried it once and it failed miserably. Miserably. But when I learned to trust in the Lord, I realized he had a different purpose for my life, for my wife, for my children. See, God saved each and every one of us, just like he saved Israel. These, these people are standing at the seashores and they're looking at all these bodies just floating. People who at one point were ready to kill them. And God saved them from all that. You know, the, the Egyptians died, why? Because they had their loyalty to a man. They received nothing for that loyalty except their death, the wrath of God. But when you're saved by God, when you're saved by the grace of the Lord, there is a great reward for you. When you learn to trust on what God has done, you will see the promises of God fulfilled in your life. You're going to see the mighty hand of God at work in your life. And it's beautiful. And you learn to trust in Him. You know, God sets men before you, pastors, elders, who you can come to for prayer, seek counsel. And that's what the Lord has asked some of us to do. But we don't do it for our glory. We don't do it for our honor. We do it for the glory and the majesty of the Lord. Because he saved us. And just as he saved this miserable man and given me a new heart, so he desires to do for some of you. Maybe perhaps some of you have never given your hearts to Jesus Christ. Maybe perhaps you've never trusted in the Lord. Maybe tonight you're thinking to yourself, should I put my faith in him? I want to encourage you to do it. Tonight we're going to have communion. You know, communion was instituted for the believers, for the people of God, for those who serve and follow Jesus. My prayer for you tonight is give your heart to Jesus Christ if you've never done it. Let him save you from your sins. Don't be like the Egyptians who trusted on themselves and died for nothing. When you can trust on the grace and the love of Jesus Christ and receive eternity. That's the greater prize. And it's just an act of faith. So as we get ready for communion, if anybody would like to receive the Lord, just pray a simple prayer. Say, Lord, I am a sinner in need of your mercy and your grace. And I ask you tonight to save me from my sins and to give me a new heart and a new spirit and to fill me with your joy as I surrender my life to you. And God is faithful to forgive you. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.